0: Hi, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. And we're glad that you've joined us today for this podcast. At Restoration, our mission is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So around here, that takes place in a lot of different ways. But on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open up God's Word to explore the truth of His Word and how we can apply it to our lives. And so we hope that you're able to do that with this message today. We would never want this to be a replacement for church. We would like for it to be a supplement for you as you explore deeper intimacy with Jesus. But if you don't have a church home, join us any week at 9 a.m., at 11 a.m. Welcome to Restoration. Okay, Matthew chapter one. Last week, we walked through the first 17 verses. Today, we're gonna to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, how many of you have seen the movie? It's on, uh, I think it's on Disney, uh, Miracle. Anybody seen that? Yeah, miracles. So, uh, February 1980, the uh, Russian hockey team, uh, since 1968, had not lost a game. They had won four gold medals in Olympic hockey. And in February, on February 22nd, 1980, they played the USA, which was comprised of a bunch of college players. And so there were these upstart college players against the big, mean Russian hockey team. And uh, it was really a David versus Goliath story. If you've not seen the movie, if you weren't born in 1980, you need to go watch the movie. It's a fabulous movie. But uh, what happened on that day, was this young upstart team, they outskated, they outplayed, they outcoached the Russian hockey team, they took them down, and then a few days later, they beat Finland, and they got the gold medal in Olympic hockey, and that was in 1980, so it's an incredible story, but if you've seen the movie, you know this, if you haven't seen the movie and you lived, how many of you lived through that experience? Yeah, many of you. So if you were watching it that day, do you remember the moment as time is ticking down, Al Michaels, who was commentating that moment, what did he say? Do you believe in miracles? And he's just going nuts. Do you believe in miracles? Because it was the most unlikely event. And so it was a modern day miracle that David could defeat Goliath. And defeat the Russians and go on to take home the gold. So I was thinking about that this week as we were preparing because the greatest, most iconic miracle in all of the Bible happens in the passage we're walking through today the miracle of the virgin birth. Yes. And so I think about, uh, you know, Thursday night, I was watching uh, Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime, and Al Michaels, still alive. Surprisingly, they propped him up there and he's still commentating. I really don't know how old he is, but he seems really old to me. But here, Al Michaels makes a statement, do you believe in miracles? And that's the question I wanna ask you this morning. Do you believe in miracles? Because this story that is so iconic that we can miss the nuances. I mean, think about it. We're talking about a virgin teenager conceived a child by the Holy Spirit who is the King of Kings, Jesus. I mean, how's that hit you? Like, maybe you've never really thought about it. Maybe you're like, well, of course, that's what happened. It is one of the tenets of our faith that if, if Mary is not a virgin, the whole thing kind of falls apart. And so it, it's this miracle above all other miracles yes. that Jesus can be brought into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so last week we looked at the genealogy of Jesus. If, if you weren't here, I encourage you, we're gonna be in the book of Matthew for probably the next five years. And so uh, uh, go back and check it out. It, it was the beginning of the story. And so the genealogy of Jesus, and he starts from Abraham to Jesus. And if you remember verse one, this is the thesis. I wanna make sure we catch it as we move into the passage today. The genealogy or Genesis Of Jesus, the Messiah or Savior, the Son of David, King, the Son of Abraham, Fulfillment of the Covenant Blessing. So, do you see it? The Genesis of Jesus, the Savior, the King, the Fulfillment of the covenant blessing. All of that is right there in verse one. And then we trace the roots of the savior, this blessed king through a whole lineage of dysfunction. So uh, if that intrigues you, go back and listen. But a bunch of jacked up people are in the family tree of Jesus. And so for some of you, you're like, man, that could be my family. Yeah, here's the truth of the matter. We're all jacked up. We're a jacked up bunch. We're all broken and in need of what only Jesus can bring. And so it's a beautiful story that the Savior of the world could come from such a line of brokenness. And so today, Matthew will show us the miracle of the birth of Jesus, and we're going to unpack these three ideas. So here are the three ideas that I want you to be thinking about. Number one, God's plan is often counterintuitive. What does that mean? Well, it means that you and I, if you're like me, operate out of a lot of common sense. You know, like common sense says, don't stick your hand on that or you will burn yourself, right? So common sense says, don't do that. And yet I just did it, right? Um, And at the end of the day, for a lot of us, we operate in our cognitive mind and we do only the things that make sense. And if that's you in the room, man, I am so excited for you because you probably make a lot of really good, sound decisions. And yet God is a God of the counterintuitive. And so if you are missing out on what you believe to be extraordinary God activity in your life, it could be that you have spent your whole life just trusting what you see and not living by faith and trusting a counterintuitive God for a counterintuitive plan in your life. And we'll get into that more. But remember this, God's plan to restore the world was passed on through broken people, not through the religious elite, but the broken, sometimes downright evil, and yet that were worthy of mention in the genealogy of Jesus. Number two, God's a promise keeper. He's not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. Think about this. He made a promise to David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen when he said, hey, listen, your throne will be great. Your throne will be established forever. He's saying someone will reign from your lineage on a throne that will be a forever throne. It's a promise he made. It's a promise he kept. Think about Abraham. When God first came to him, his name was Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and he says, hey listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Everybody that you bless will be blessed. He made a covenant with him that he uh, said again in Genesis 15, again Genesis 17 and then he just flat out did it and Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant blessing that God promised Abraham. In fact, Jesus is a fulfillment of every prophecy made throughout the Old Testament. A promise made by God is a promise kept. And so we see that his plan is often counterintuitive. We see that God is promise keeper. And then finally, we see that God worked through Joseph's yes. Joseph had a lot to overcome that we'll see in the passage today to be a part of God's redemptive story. But in the end, it was his yes. It was his obedience that God used to initiate his restorative plan. So here's the truth of the matter. God was gonna do God's stuff whether Joseph said yes or not. For you today, God is going to accomplish his plan with or without you but he's always inviting you to be a part of his redemptive plan for the world, his plan to restore the world. He wants to go through you. He is for you. Uh, We talk about Ephesians 2.10 all the time. He has created you for good, good works and Jesus is the activator of those good works in your life. So he's got plans. And when you say yes, you're activated into a bigger story. So we're gonna see all of that in the passage today. Starting with verse 18, I just wanna read it to you and then we'll point out a few things. Starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not want to consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Okay. So there's so much packed in here, and so let's walk through the passage, and I'm going to spend more time at the beginning than I will at the end, so if you're like, man, you're really getting bogged down in this verse, we're getting somewhere, all right? So uh, starting at verse 18, uh, we said this last week, but again, this is Matthew's Genesis narrative. So remember, Genesis 1, if you were with us when we walked through Genesis, all of Genesis 1 is the story of creation, and it's in a nutshell, it stays one through six on the seventh day he rested. Now, some believe that it's a literal six days and then there is a literal seventh day where he rested. Others believe that it is six periods of time and that it was written more in poetic form with a seventh period of time just saying the Lord rested. So I don't want to get into which is which, whether it's literal or figurative. Here, here's what I want to say. God is the creator, He is the one who initiated something from nothing. And so when we get fixated on details that really don't matter, they really don't matter. Because at the end of the day, God is the one who initiated creation. And so we see Genesis chapter one, an overview. Matthew chapter one begins with an overview of the life of Jesus from Abraham To Jesus. And so we can look at those first 17 verses as this overview. He takes us all the way back to Abraham and walks us up to the birth of Jesus. Then, Genesis 2, verse 4, it says this this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. That can be a little confusing when you read that because, well, haven't you already given us the account? Well, what's happening in Genesis chapter two, verse four, is he's getting into the details. He starts with an overview. He gets into the details and very quickly, he gets to the prized of all of his possession, man. Now in Matthew... Look at where he starts in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Again, it's the same thing, do you see it? He's he's giving a general narrative, now he's gonna get into the details. And so again, Matthew is making his Genesis statement about Jesus, Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. That word breathed, the Hebrew word there is ruach, which is often the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. And so you've got man who is lifeless and then the Holy Spirit comes and initiates life in him. What happens in Matthew chapter one before Joseph and Mary came together. She was found to be pregnant through who? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so why am I drawing these distinctions? Why is this important? God breathes life into the first Adam in Genesis chapter 2. And now in Matthew, he is breathing life into the second Adam. Here's what's important about that. The first Adam, what came into the world through the first Adam? Sin, death. And now the second Adam, Paul refers to him as a second Adam, has come to restore, to redeem, to return what had been lost in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22, Paul talks about it. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ we will all be made alive. Jesus, the king from the line of David. Jesus the blessing, the fulfillment of the blessing who has come from Abraham. He is reversing the curse of the garden. Yes, amen. And Matthew is pointing that out right here in Matthew chapter one. But if you blink, you miss it, right? He is literally mirroring Genesis saying, hey, here's another Genesis story. In Genesis chapters one and two, in the beginning, God created. And his prize of all creation was Adam. And then Genesis chapter three, sin enters the world. And now in Matthew chapter one, he's telling us, hey, here's a new Genesis, a new beginning. And it is restoration for all people, for all kind. But now look at God's counterintuitive plan. Says that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. So that word pledged translated would be the word betrothed. Now I know y'all use that word all the time, um, but for those of you that may go, what does that mean? Uh, Betrothal in this culture, it's basically a legal coming together. They would be married without consummation. If you're not sure what consummation means, ask your neighbor. (laughs) So they were married without consummation. So think about that. They were betrothed, so they were legally together without consummation, two teenagers. And before they could consummate their relationship, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that Matthew goes into no detail here about that? That he just kind of throws it out there and we just kind of accept it. Well, of course she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't feel the need to get into detail about what that's all about. I guess he's believing that we're gonna thumb over to the book of Luke and read about the bigger story here. At any rate, she became pregnant By the Holy Spirit. So, is anybody else intrigued by that? So, let me read to you the account real quick in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So the Holy One will be born. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Okay. So what do we know about Mary? We know very little about her. We know that she was a virgin and we know that she found favor with the Lord. We don't know why. We're not given any indication of why she had found favor with the Lord, only that she had found favor with the Lord. I've always thought as I've read these narratives that we know a lot more about Mary than we've known about Joseph. That Joseph was just kind of a a prop in the nativity. Just a little figurine to stick in there to go, there's the baby's daddy, right? (laughs) In reality, we know a lot more about Joseph than we do Mary. Now that we've we've walked through the lineage, the, the family tree of Jesus, he was in the line of kings. He was actually in the royal bloodline. And so we can maybe assume that he had some heritage of faith in his family. Yes. We know nothing about Mary. All we know is that she happened to be betrothed to a man who's in the bloodline of kings. Yes. And at this time, God chose, in a very counterintuitive way, this teenager to be with this teenager and bring the King of Kings into the world. Yes. I mean, is that unlikely to anybody besides me? So he loves to work through unlikely people and unlikely ways. Yes. You realize that, right? That that is the nature of God. The nature of God is to look at the most counterintuitive way, the craziest way he could accomplish something and accomplish it in that way. Why? Why does he do that? So that no one can ever say it's about you. Amen. God loves to step into moments where he's the only way that something could happen but maybe this isn't counterintuitive to you. Maybe you're like, well, of course, two teenagers. I mean, what else? So here's my question. Would you trust your teenager to manage your retirement account? Show of hands. Yeah, we'd all say a hard no to that, right? Because at the end of the day, we know that teenagers are teenagers for a reason. We know that they have not yet matured enough to make mature decisions, and yet this was God's plan for the restoration of the world through two teenagers. God is performing the biggest miracle in all the Bible, the virgin birth, and he's doing it through a 13, 14-year-old little girl. And Joseph's response should give us all hope. Look at what he does. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. What does that tell you? We don't know exactly how that conversation took place, Like, the Bible doesn't tell us that when Mary found out that she was going to conceive a child through the Holy Spirit, it doesn't tell us what the conversation was like when she went and told Joseph. All we know is that Joseph heard that she had conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he goes, no, (laughs) I don't think so. And it says that he was righteous enough that he wanted to follow the law. So he was a keeper of the law. He was a good Jew. He was gonna keep the law, but he also loved Mary enough that he didn't wanna expose her to scandal. And so he said he was gonna divorce her quietly. There was a lack of belief that Joseph did not believe that Mary could possibly be telling the truth, why? Because it's a counterintuitive plan. If you were engaged to someone, about to be married, and they came to you one day and said, hey, uh, so I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirits. (laughs) (laughs) It's a stretch, fair to say? But God, but God. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, the divorce that is, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. God intervened. An angel appeared in a dream and confirmed the validity of Mary's story. And I love that he addressed him, Joseph, son of David. It's the only time that anyone is called son of David in Matthew besides Jesus. Jesus. And now he's identifying Joseph as in the royal bloodline. And he's like, hey, listen, buddy, you're in the line of kings, but guess what? You are going to father the king of kings. How cool must that have been in this dream for this angel to speak over him? Hey, listen, I know that you're planning on getting a divorce. What Mary told you is legit. This is actually gonna happen. And when it happens... Name him Jesus. Name him Jesus. Jesus in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. Jesus literally means savior. God saves. And so he tells Joseph, he's telling you and me today, that the mission of Jesus is to save all people from the curse of sin. Again, this second Adam is coming to reverse the curse. So Matthew's doubling down on his idea from the first 17 verses. He uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. Abraham, a polygamist and a liar. Jacob, a deceiver. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, sexually promiscuous. David, adulterer and murderer. Several wicked kings and now Joseph and Mary, two teenagers who are having to overcome a scandalous narrative. So here's what I want you to know. If you have bought into the lie that religious piety and perfection is the standard in order for you to be used by God, then you don't know the God of the Bible. Amen. You clearly have never fully understand, understood the God of the Bible. In fact, the church you are sitting in here today is part of a bigger story. It's a part of a story of brokenness. Yeah. My marriage was dead at the end of 2010. My career was dead at the end of 2010. And over uh, three years, God was restoring. He was was restoring us. He was restoring to me something that I didn't even see coming. And on April 1st, 2014, sitting in uh, a recliner in my living room at 3 o'clock in the morning, he took me to Jeremiah chapter 33. And he, he walked me into the exile of Israel, the brokenness, blood in the streets. And then these were the words that he just kind of went. He said, but I will restore their fortunes. Yes. Amen. And he said to me in that moment, Greg, your restoration is complete. Now go be restoration for others. And so the name on the sign is my story. It's our story. And we seek to be a place where people, broken people, which is everybody in this room can come and experience the grace, the mercy and the healing that only Jesus can give. Amen. And so if you think that your story, that God can't overcome it, that's straight up Pride. Because your greatest moment of brokenness is the thing that God wants to use as the seed of your Ephesians two ten calling, Amen. and when He heals you, when He awakens you, that is the moment that you begin the life you were always meant to live. Amen. Only God can take the unlikely and do it for extraordinary purposes. Amen. So God's a God of the counterintuitive. But the second point is this, God keeps his promises. Verse 22 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is the first of many times in the book of Matthew that that Matthew is gonna use the phrase, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. So fulfillment is a big deal to Matthew. What he's trying to prove to us in the gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down, but I'm not gonna read them all right now. He uses this phrase in uh, Matthew 2.15 in Matthew 2, 17, in Matthew 2, 23, in Matthew 4, 14, in Matthew 8, 17, in Matthew 12, 17, in Matthew 13, 14, in Matthew 13, 35, 4, 26, 54, and 26, 56, and in 27, nine. In all of those places, he uses this same phraseology. And what he's saying is, Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy. Meaning that God made a promise and he fulfilled his promise through this scripture. Amen. So you ready for the most mind-blowing thing? If you add all of those numbers up that I just mentioned, you divide them by seven, have no idea what you get, but that, was, that would have been cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> y- y'all are leading it forward, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that would have been a cool story. Um, somebody add them up real quick and tell me what it, what it means, all right. Here's the point. The point is, God made promises to his people and Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise ever made. Everyone, Paul put it well in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, when he said this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes, in Christ. Not maybe. Not not no, not come back next week. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So here's what I want you to think about. Every longing of the human heart, every promise that God ever, ever made is yes, affirmative in Christ and amen, final in Christ. Yes. Affirmative and final. So if you've been waiting on something from God, hoping and praying that'll come through for you, if there's a prayer that you've been praying, if there's something you've been hoping for, know this, All of his promises are wrapped up in Jesus. If you are looking for intuitive solutions, if you are looking for common sense solutions, it could be that you are missing what God wants to do in your life, that he wants you by faith to trust him, wants you to trust his timing and not your own. He may be wanting you to pray more. He may be inviting you into a season to depend on him more. But know this, God has never made a promise that he hasn't kept. The life you're looking for, all the love, all the hope, all the peace you could ever experience is all wrapped up in Jesus. He said it in John 14, six, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So whatever you're looking for, Jesus is the way to it, he's the truth about it, and he's the life in it. But look at the second name. So not only is Jesus, God saves, Yahweh saves, but Emmanuel means God with us. He's not a 30,000 foot God. He does not save you from up in the ivory tower. No, when you couldn't save yourself, he descended. All the dirt and the details, he got dirty on your behalf. God with us. So God isn't just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. And he takes his promises very personally. And Jesus is the answer to every promise God has ever made. Do you realize that in Matthew 5, 17, speaking of fulfillment, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill. 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 That word fulfill. All throughout the book of Matthew, we're going to see it we're going to be in Matthew for five years or so, so it's going to be so great. Some of you are nervously laughing. You're like, really? Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So here's the third point. Joseph said yes. Joseph said yes. And God's story of restoration passed through him. So know this, Joseph could have said no. Joseph could have carried out with his intuitive plan, with his common sense plan, said, hey, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't believe that the Lord could do that. And know this, God would have still gotten the glory and Jesus still would have come. Joseph just would have been left out. The reason that we're reading about Joseph, the reason that he is the last in that lineage of the 14 generations leading up to Jesus, the reason that we're reading about his story is because he said yes. Amen. What did he say yes to? He said yes to marrying her. He said yes to not consummating the marriage until after Jesus was born. Yes. He lived a life of obedience yes. because he believed. He believed, and because he believed, he obeyed. I mean, he was crazy enough to fall through in marriage, and even crazier not to consummate the marriage until Jesus was born. Remember, he's a hormonal teenager. That may be the biggest miracle in this story, y'all. <laughs> I mean, he can legally and spiritually consummate the marriage with Mary and out of obedience, he said, you know what? I want God to get the glory more than I want my way. Think about that for a minute. Talk about a counterintuitive plan, but that is a personal decision that Joseph made. He said, yes. And because of that, we're reading this story today. So, Here's the question I have for you. What could your yes mean in history? What could it be like if you said yes today? For a lot of us, we hear that and we think, uh, you don't know me. I don't have to. I can read the first 25 verses of Matthew chapter one and realize that God uses the worst of us for his glory. So the question is, how can God use your yes to change the world around you? It's right here in front of you. What is it that God is placing you to do? For some of you, There are things that keep you up at night. There are things that get you up in the morning. There's a holy discontent that you have in your life. And you know that there's a calling on your life. But because of fear, fear of taking that step, because of hurt that you have assigned to a person, a church, but ultimately to God, you sit here today and you're hurt, wondering why you haven't been activated into the life that God has for you. And I want you to know what God says to you today. I'm just waiting for your yes. That's it. I'm just waiting for your yes. There are things that he wants to do in your life that will literally blow your mind. And all he needs you to do is say yes and take the next right step toward him. There are things that are burning in your heart. Some of you right now, your heart is literally beating out of your chest because there is something that God placed in you and and you've you've not been able to get to it. It's right there on the surface, ready to be ignited. But for whatever reason, you've not been able to take that next step and your heart's beating fast because you know that the Holy Spirit is wanting to activate that in you today. Here's what I want to submit to you yes I've been walking around for the last month in this building just looking around honestly feeling a little bit lost like like how did we get here uh, I don't know because I know me like I see myself kind of as the village idiot and I'm like how, how did this happen And I'll start it with a yes. And every time I say yes, God does something cool. And know this, I say no probably more than I say yes. What could he be doing right now? What am I leaving on the table? And that's the question for you. What is it that God has has in store for your life and all he needs you to do is lean forward and say yes. In the first service, Dave Shannon was sitting down here on the third or fourth row. And um, when I said his name, he woke up and I. uh, (laughs) So Dave and I have been friends for more than 20 years. And uh, when we started Restoration, he jumped in to be a part of it. And uh, if you know Dave, you know that Dave has a passion for seeing men live into their full potential. Is that fair? Man. Dave's not getting any love in this service. All right. I won't won't tell him that nobody affirmed that. Um, But here's what I know about Dave. Dave wants to see men living as the leader of their homes, living in that spiritual authority, not living in woman submit to me, but living as a servant leader in their home. And I can say to you today that, you know, uh, we have a very unique men's ministry at Restoration. We have a a higher percentage of men than most that are living out the purposes of Christ in their families. And I'm just so blown away and grateful for that. When we go to men's advance in a couple of months, February 2nd through 4th, uh, when registration goes live in a few days, you need to sign up to be a part of it. We'll have over 300 men just from restoration that will be a part of that. And if you've never come, it'll blow your mind. But what will happen is God will inspire you and you will begin living out those purposes in a different way. But it started with something that God placed in Dave's heart. It all starts with the seed, with the holy discontent. And now he's living into it, all because he just keeps saying yes. So there are so many miracles in this story. The miracle of the virgin birth, the miracle of Joseph exercising some self-control. Here's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle of the Christmas story is that God can use you, and God can use me. God steps into brokenness. He restores, He heals, and then He uses us for His glory and for His purposes. Can you hear Al Michaels right now? Do you believe in miracles? Do you? Do you believe in miracles? God wants to activate a miracle in your life, even today.